Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Red Letter Disciple. My name is Zach Zender. I'm going to be joined in just a couple of minutes by my co-host, Chris Johnson. And we hope that this podcast challenges you to become a greater follower of Jesus because we believe that when we can together unleash a greater, fuller, and truer expression of Jesus, like the world is going to change. And so here's what's going to happen. You're going to be challenged, you're going to be inspired, and you're going to have a lot of laughs along the way with us on our podcast. Season one is off to an awesome start. In just a few weeks, you guys have helped us get to more than 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. And so we are so grateful for our listeners. Your support and your reviews are going to help us to create more podcasts in the future. Schultz MC said, as a Jesus follower, this is the kind of encouragement I need filled with joy, hope, humor, and challenge. Come on, Schultz MC. That's beautiful. So, hey, can you continue to spread the word if this podcast is helpful for you or you believe it'll be helpful for someone else? We are asking, could you give us a five-star review on your favorite streaming platform? You can find out which platforms we're on, access our show notes for today, uh, check in with our sponsor there, and listen to past episodes on our website, redletterpodcast.com. So on the podcast today, we have Peter McGowan with us. Peter is the president and co-founder of Plain Joe Studios, and he is known as the chief storyteller. And with that title, like I'm really excited to ask Peter, like how followers of Jesus can tell a better story of who Jesus is, how individuals and churches can collectively tell a better story. So we're going to find out in Peter's words, how businesses like Disney and individuals like Elon Musk can actually help us tell the story of Jesus to this world. So I can't wait for you to meet Peter. He is maybe the smartest guy I know. But before we meet Peter, I want to introduce you to Phil Ling. Phil is the founder and leader of The Giving Church, our season one sponsor here at the Red Letter Disciple podcast. The Giving Church, through Phil's leadership, has helped more than a thousand churches raise more than a billion dollars. That's incredible. They help bring kingdom dreams to fruition and are help, here to help any church grow in their generosity. And so over the next few episodes, I get to ask this incredible leader a few questions about giving related to the church. And so today, Phil, I want to ask you, as a pastor or church leader, I know that I'm often looking at our church offerings and looking at our budgets but I want to know from you, like, what are the numbers or what's the one number I should be looking for when I'm looking at my church offerings and budgets? I'm going to give you two numbers because, you know, I'm a preacher. You got to give more than one thing. But if I had three, I have a sad story. Two is the <laughs> churn rate. What's your churn rate? The average church in America, if you look to see who gives the money, 18 to 20 percent of them move away the next year and are replaced by somebody else. So that's a churn rate. Are you high or low on that? Participation is how many people in my church give over $200 in a year. That's kind of the level. The average church, 45% give less than $200 in a year. So look at yours and say, am I, where am I? Am I average in there? Am I churn rate? Am I participation number? Awesome. And here's what's great. You guys commissioned a study that had thousands of churches uh, participate and were able to find those numbers. Because I know when I'm looking at offerings and budgets, like I'm really good at looking at the bottom line and, and just looking at numbers. But like what you're telling me too, is don't just look at numbers, look at people in there, look at who's giving, who's not giving. And comparatively, uh, see 
where you're at with those things. And so I think that's awesome. Churn rate. And then I'm always like that since the first time I heard it from you a few weeks ago, that 45% number, I'm thinking, man, there's so much potential if we can get this right. And so uh, if you want more things like that, more statistics, data, and just expertise, The Giving Church offers that and more. Go to, to go to thegivingchurch.com slash red. And they've got a free PDF there that some of this research comes from. It's called Five Ways to Grow Your Church's Giving. What pastor doesn't want to do that? And so come on, go over to thegivingchurch.com slash red to download that free PDF. But we are now on to episode five. Let's do this. Excited for today's show, today's podcast. I got one of my favorite people on with me. His name is Peter McGowan. And so Peter is uh, one of the founders of Plain Joe and Storyland Studios. Peter's unique because he brings uh, uh, clients unique stories to life by broadening their visual vocabulary beyond words. He is what's known as the two words, the chief storyteller. And so welcome Peter to the red letter disciple podcast. There you go. Peter on your bio as well. It says you've worked with nonprofits, churches, as well as larger scale corporate clients, infinity, Nissan, IBM, Johnson and Johnson, Disney universal whoa, 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 whoa. Lego. You've worked with Marvel. Uh, it, it's great, but I've done some work with Marvel. Okay. So not, here's not in the feature film stuff. Oh, okay. Well, uh, here, here, I have an idea real quick, and this isn't maybe part of the podcast. Uh, Peter, uh, next time you talk to Marvel, I have been, um, really kind of scripting this idea for a middle age. He's 48 years old. He's a little bit overweight, uh, but he's a superhero, right? With red sweet sequence. <laughs> Yes, he and this is his suit. He puts on the red yeah. suit, and he is indestructible. He can shoot fireballs. He can fly through the sky like this, like green skiering me right now. Look, whoa, whoa! So next time, Peter, if you don't mind, uh, when you're talking to those guys, just you know, I'm sure that'll be first on his list. But right. hey, I'm excited to have yeah. you here, Peter. I, you are uh, such an important piece of my story. Mm. And honestly, I don't know that we'd be even having a podcast called Red Letter Disciple today without, without you. Uh, you were at a time when I had reached out to a few people about the idea initially behind Red Letter Challenge. Uh, you were one of the people that believed in it. And I needed somebody at that time to say, I believe in this. And the more we got to know each other and uh, sync up, I think we realized how similar we were of like, we need to tell a better story of who Jesus is. And so uh, just, yeah, truly, man, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for uh, coming at a, a beautiful time mm -hmm. at a time when I needed you to help. And uh, it's been cool to see what God's done since then. So. All right, Peter. Great podcast. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, humbled and blessed by that, bro. Yeah, no, it's great, dude. All right. So, Peter, I want to I want to hear your story, though. Right. I want to hear your story mm -hmm. like your faith journey and how you got to the place where you are today of leading these really two incredible studios. Mm -hmm. Man, that that's kind of a, uh, a, I'm not sure how deep you really want me to go, but I'll give you the condensed version. But basically um, grew up as an army brat. Uh, my dad was traveling a lot. Uh, I spent the first decade of my life overseas, mainly in, in Europe, Germany, um, landed in California in 1984 as uh, 12 years old. And my dad left us. And uh, so hmm. left us single mom doing her best to, to raise three uh, boys, 12, 14, 16. Wow. And uh, 
praise God, we kind of got adopted into a local church. And that that church just changes the trajectory of my life. And um, yeah, I can get, do a deeper dive on my dad some other time, but he wasn't a good guy. He was actually uh, kind of a, uh, I, we joke around, we say, if you ever saw Catch Me If You Can, we're like, that could have been my dad. He was mm. he was like a professional con man. He would, uh, we grew up learning it was totally okay to lie, cheat, and steal. If you mm. get caught, just run away. And uh, and really what was remarkable was um, God put incredible men around my life that taught me what it was to be um, to be a godly man, to what it is to chase after Jesus' heart, what it is to be a, a godly husband, and what do I want to be there, a godly father, um, and then ultimately a godly business owner, and what what is that you know reflection of Christ look like as they move forward? So, um, but in that journey, um, one of those men, this guy Doug Cusin, gave me my very first job of all places at IBM, and okay. uh, doing IT work, and uh, and in '91, IT was a good place to be. <laughs> it was yeah. like a, the whole start of the internet and he set me in a direction of uh, rather than going out and spending the money I was making on a new car, any of those things, he got me into investing. And um, the next decade of my life would just go really well, but primarily in the IT world. Yeah. And uh, but I, my niche was networking Macs and PCs for ad agencies, service bureaus, training companies. But I did contract work uh, for uh, companies like Disney. Okay. And uh, in, and it was uh, actually. Uh, October of 2001, just after 9-11, um, that uh, a couple of, uh, I went to coffee with uh, Mike Foster, a, real, a yep. really good friend. Um, I kind of grew up with him from junior high. He's one of those guys. We used to go to summer camp together. He, he was yeah. a camp counselor. And then my big brother, Mel, who actually led me to the Lord, we were sitting in a coffee shop one night um, and Mike just asked this question. He's like, "Now, why is it that if we tell the server right now that we're Christians, unless they're a believer, the first thought in their head will have nothing to do with who Jesus is. Huh. It's going to be like, great cheap tip, homophobic, judgmental, hypocritical. And uh, and I remember just sitting there going like, yeah, dude, why is that? And, and Mel was like, man, it's because the church has forgotten how to tell its story. And we're like, what are you talking about? Church tells its story every Sunday. And, uh, and Mel was just like, nah, man. It's like Walt Disney had this idea that everything speaks. Mm. And really, um, you know, story is not just an oral or written tradition. It really is this broader vocabulary of design and, uh, and, and interaction. So that night we were just talking about it and we're like, man, how can we help the church tell the story better? And uh, we came out with this, this idea that, you know, we're, we're just going to start a little side studio, like, and the idea is we're going to bring on some interns and send them out into other churches and help try and influence the way that they think of uh, basically, uh, you know, what we call experience design, but it's three main areas. What we say story that walks away with people or traditionally people will say it's the brand, but for us, it's not about logos, fonts, and colors. It's an emotional response. How do you feel when you say red letter challenge? How do you feel when you say Disney, Apple, Nike, Tesla, mm -hmm. you know, um, that emotional response is what we are intentional about. Then the, the second area is story that doesn't walk away with people. Okay. We call it facial storytelling. And over the last 20 years, we've become licensed architects, yeah, interior designers, landscapers. Um, but it's, what is it that when people walk into story and it creates a sense of place, does it back that story up? And then the third area is story that people actually interact with. Okay. And that gets into web development, app development, but, but really even culture development, because it's all about the interactivity of the brand, how you go back and forth. And when we talk about, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I digress on that. But mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that, but that's what we started the, the studio around. Um, so, and that was in October of 2001. Great time to start a business right after 9-11. You know what? It was this calling. It was like, you know, we got to do something. And it was a, it was a low-budget operation in the beginning. And I think that bootstrapping is something 
the last 20 years I've always hung on to. It's like, okay, yeah. we can go do work. I remember early days, we, we got a $20 million contract uh, in Las Vegas for the Tropicana Hotel. We did this killer experience. Yeah. And then we had a, a local pastor, kids pastor in Las Vegas. So can you do, can I do something like that? But I only have 20,000. But the <laughs> idea was, how do you take an idea, a story, and then bring yeah. it all the way down in budget? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, one of my actually Marvel movies, uh, you know, in the beginning of Ant-Man 2, I think it is. Yeah. He's like, you know, crawling around and like in the caves, like mm-hmm. this kind of things going to attack him. And then they pull back and he's in cardboard boxes. And, <laughs> and that's the thing is like, it, it's about the story, not so much how you pull it off. And you can use high budgets and pull all this stuff sure. off. But man, it's amazing the power of a book where yeah. it's just your imagination and how you lead people through that versus spending $100 million on special visual effects. Yeah, um, it, it can actually be more powerful just the spoken word or the written word at times. So anyways. So I, yeah, boy, that's a lot to unpack right there, Peter. But the thing that uh, shocks me is I know a lot of people in IT. I know a lot of people. They are not, and excuse me, the best storytellers on well, planet Earth. You just crushed our whole IT audience. I'm saying, I'm saying you, that is something like right there. You, you're doing IT for IBM and now you're a chief storyteller. I think you're one of maybe three on planet <laughs> Earth that started as an IT guy. That's awesome. Man, I don't know. I didn't say I was a good IT guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah. That's really good. And I think that's part of it, though. Like, as we get involved in these things, like, we figure out a little more of who we are and things become clearer. And what I love about you is, hey, we want to start this thing on the side and just see what happens. And yet you see God moving in that and you step more fully into that and you realize, man, this is so unique and amazing mm-hmm. that – I'm wired in the same way in which God is leading me and mm. you just follow his lead and you see what God does. And you've, you've done awesome at that. So when it comes to telling stories, uh, you can take this from an individual scale or a, a, a corporate church scale. What are ways that we tell stories wrong or mm. incorrectly? What are a couple things that we do that uh, maybe just we need to be careful of? Like Blair Witch Project, the shaky cam. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, well, there's a couple of things. And and I would even like just the segue back from uh, why I did well in IT. It was mm. literally story. And I did really well uh, connecting executive leadership, C-suite mm. leadership with lower IT managers because they didn't they didn't understand the story. The IT managers were consumed with a checklist and the process mm-hmm. and all these things. They didn't care about how it actually affected the, the bigger picture, key performance indicators or any of those things. And it really was connecting the story in middle management that I excelled mm. at. And I actually you know, went from a system analyst all the way up um, just because I would connect things with story with people and yep. help them have empathy for one another. Um, mm. That really was kind of uh, the trick I would use uh, pretty early on. Yeah. That's interesting. I love that. Yeah. So when it comes to storytelling, though, uh, and I, I think, um, have you ever heard of the theory of the suspension of disbelief? So wait a second. Let me let me work this through. Uh, University of Iowa film and TV grad. Um, suspension yeah. of disbelief is we are putting people or we're creating an environment uh, where people can just forget about everything in their life and experience the joy or the suspense of the next two hours. Yep. Even though rationally they know there's no such thing as sound in outer space, they suspend disbelief to get enraptured into the story. Right. Yes. My point of contention is beyond that, the greatest storyteller of all time, right? God in human form came to this earth 
Um, and I believe the suspension of disbelief is what made him a powerful storyteller. The idea that you would suspend disbelief and make a decision of faith is really what we strive after. So when we work with churches and they're talking about like, you know, Sunday morning experiences and all this stuff, whatever, and they strive for excellence because our God is worthy of excellence. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't fly well with me because I'm like, how does the widow's might kind of go with that? It's like, I think God <laughs> cares about what our, is in our heart. The reason why we strive for excellence is actually to pursue the suspension of disbelief because we don't want people taken out of the story. We want them to get enraptured in the story. If you say you're a caring church or anywhere, it's involved, like what are the elements of the story in the environment, in the interactions, in uh, like the brand that help uh, continue that? But you're spot on. And Hollywood is really good at bringing it in just for film. But when we yeah. look at life and how we look at, I mean, story is not some new marketing buzzword we just came up with. I mean, throughout human history, it's been led by the storytellers. Mm -hmm. The chieftains around a, a campfire circle. I mean, you look at yeah. the leaders, their ability to cast vision and lead. I mean, you look at the uh, greatest leaders of our time, whether it's like Abraham Lincoln or mm -hmm. uh, was it Martin Luther King. They were fantastic storytellers. Uh, you know, one of my heroes, when I, it, you know, Ronald Reagan. And he would just, you know, whip out these witty stories and jokes yeah. and everything like that. And they would just take you in and you believe him. And right. I, I think so much of humanity has led that. And even if we bring it to a personal level within our own families, I know that really what matters between me and my kids, it's the stories that they tell. It's the stories that they tell of our family vacations, our interactions. When when, when I blew it and, uh, and <laughs> went the wrong direction, they like to share the stories about right. how I, I don't know where I'm going. Right. Uh, you know, but ultimately, when even when we're raising the next generation, um, like how how is that story connecting? That's really what's kind of really deeply personal to me. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. So you mentioned, obviously, God himself, in especially in the human form of Jesus, like the greatest storyteller of all time. Mm -hmm. Who today uh, can Christians in the church learn from? Um, or maybe there is a church or a Christian that mm -hmm. is included in this. But who do you feel like are a couple of the really great storytellers that we can be learning from? Yeah. So I have a whole kind of little uh, sacrilegious uh, heretical philosophy about this, but there you go. You know, Good. Good. Bring we, really, yeah. you know, we go back around to Jesus, right. And just even um, his ability. I mean, recognizing that the creator of the universe comes to this earth, he has access to it. He's an educated man. He could have written the whole new Testament. Instead, the only thing he ever writes down is temporary and dirt. And yeah. it's okay. like, cool. I believe there is this disconnect from technology that is not that technology is bad, but this, the story is independent of it. And I think uh, when you look at the early church and how the church grew and even how the early church embraced technology, whether it was the Roman roads and you look at the gospel going out, when you look at you know the Gutenberg press, stained glass windows, how do you communicate the gospel to an illiterate society? Looking at when radio came out, I mean, Amy Simple McPherson's leveraging of radio to help grow the you know uh, four-square denomination. Even today, the largest privately owned uh, television network, I believe, is TVN. Yeah, you know, there was a huge leveraging of that. One of my favorite stories, actually, uh, Dan Cathy was sharing with me that when he had a chance. Do you guys know the story of uh, of what was called uh, Pinewood, Pinewood Atlanta, and then now it's called Trilith Studios? Um, so they're coming through, meeting with Dan. He's showing them some different locations. Then they share their origin story. And they're like, yeah, it's like their grandfather, J. Arthur Rank actually was sent by his dad who owned a lumber, a, Pinewood was a lumber mill during the Great Depression. And he sent his father out to, or their 
his father sent him out to the U.S. to look for opportunities. He landed in California and basically landed in Hollywood and saw these people. And there's other stories about uh, uh, Angelus Temple and Amy Simple McPherson doing her illustrated sermons. And in the audience would be like the Marx Brothers and um, was it uh, all these like Charlie Chaplin, all these Hollywood people getting ideas from her illustrated sermons wow. to you know make film with. Wow. Um, and, you know, and. Uh, you know, the use of technology and the use of film for the gospel would advance on. So uh, J. Arthur Rank actually went back to London to start uh, Pinewood Studios as a faith-based mission tool. Huh. And they just got sidetracked making secular films. They just and even like, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> like as a filmmaker, like, you know, like uh, The Blob, right? You know, uh -huh. The Blob was actually made by Christian filmmakers. It was going to be this Christian allegory. And no kidding. Like, yeah, you know, and that's what's sad. You look at like even um, the story of Harry Potter is really kind of heartbreaking because, you know, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling, she actually was writing that as a Christian allegory. And when the church uh, asked her, like, hey, is, is, this, uh, is this a Christian allegory? She didn't want to answer him because that would give away the ending. Right. <laughs> you know, Harry's going to die and rise from the dead in redemption yeah. story. Yeah. You know, but her non-answer, they were like, oh, she's from the devil. This is witchcraft. Uh, and the church turned on her and she got death threats. And all. I feel sorry for her. And then now she's getting beat up by the other communities. Yeah. Um, yeah you just can't win in this world. But, right. um, but the well, idea that she, she, uh, she can rest uh, on her billions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's still hard as a Christian. No, I, I, I hear you. And I'm joking, yeah. but that's yeah. super tough that, you know, you create something as a Christian allegory and you don't want to give it away because it's going to give away the ending, but, and then you get slammed and it's right. You, it feels like at times you can't win either way. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it really caused her to publicly kind of, uh, I don't want to say disown, but she's like, I, I wouldn't call myself Christian. And she believes she follows Jesus. She loves him. She's connected with a local church, but the larger church she's disenfranchised from is like what I read and heard and stuff, but it's really sad. But yeah. the, the, the idea of like connecting and telling story has been something that the church has used throughout history. And it wasn't until the industrial revolution and the idea that the assembly line approach was the most effective and efficient way to do something. And we silo things into these departments and we you know, streamline it. But the whole idea of a church being used one day a week, uh, you batch kids by age group, put them into Sunday school classes, into junior high groups, high school groups, uh, that pastor who you know baptizes, marries and buries the people. That's only like 150 years old. Historically, I mean, the church was kind of the original multinational corporation. The Catholic church is the largest landholder in the world. And we act like multi-sites new. It's like, that's actually the early church was multi-site. I mean, content syndication literally came like, that's what the Bible was about. You take content, you re, uh, reshare the same stories and stuff. And and how Jesus was able to take the scriptures, he didn't just stand on the steps of the temple. He actually, you know, added stories in the parables to help make it relatable and stuff. But historically, the church has done that. But in the last hundred years, the church kind of hit pause on the perfect church model. And from what I know, since the Industrial Revolution, not a single assembly line has gone unpunished. I mean, irrelevance is a is a big eye opener. And yeah. when you look at the American steel industry, railroad industry, now the, the automotive industry, telecom industry, you name it, education industry, they've all suffered from innovation and the lack thereof. And I think yeah. right now, and we'll talk a little bit later, uh, but, but the idea that the church is just this building that 
meets on a Sunday morning. COVID was a big wake up call to a lot of people. And I feel bad because I know a lot of people are like, how do we just go back to the you know, way it was before? I don't know if it will ever go back because I know so many people that, um, that have just realized that, hey, on a Sunday morning, I can still connect with my local community, but now I can watch all these other great pastors and preachers online right here in my living room and follow their podcasts and do all these other great things. But it's, it's broadened our appetite for it. It hasn't actually made it narrower. I mean, it's just like, you know, did, did Napster end up killing music? Did iTunes kill music? And you look at how like Spotify now just, you know, just dominates. And, you know, just in the last week, Twitter, what, what's going on with that and Elon Musk and stuff. But when we look at modern day storytellers, a lot of them have broken out of that convention. Walt Disney, you know, he was a high school dropout. He actually wrote a scathing letter to his high school principal about how they were killing creativity by creating <laughs> uh, clerks through rote memorization. Uh, and he understood that. But you even fast forward, we call them natural branders now. But you fast forward, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Steve Jobs. Uh, you know, one of my favorite stories is about Steve Jobs is the whole innovation of the iPhone. And in his mind, he told a story. He's like, someone's able to answer the phone. Then they're able to make a note. Then they're able to type an email, then look something up and then get map directions. And in that story, you did not need a keyboard <laughs> and you did right. not need a 10 key or a full QWERTY keyboard. And he let the story drive it. But no survey, no study, no process in fact, the opposite was true. Motorola, Qualcomm, Nokia, they were all like, every survey we do, everyone's asking for a full keyboard. Yeah. Your iPhone's never going to take off. And it's just like, yeah. Didn't, didn't he say something like, we need to tell the people what they want and we need to create that story as opposed to them telling? They don't know what they want. I remember one time he said that. <laughs> yeah. They don't yeah. know what they want. Yeah, human nature. It's like our founding fathers. They knew democracy didn't work. That's why we have a republic. It's 60% of people resist change no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, how do you cast vision? How do you actually lead things through? And honestly, it's through story. So today, I would say probably one of the most influential storytellers, um, whether they realize it or not, is Elon Musk. And yeah, the vision, yeah. if you look at the Tesla ecosystem, it was not just, hey, we're going to make an electric car. It's like he realized you know, taking a few steps back, it's like, oh, no, no, it, it's the charging network. It's the charging infrastructure. It's the whole thing with, yeah. of, you know, bringing back, it's the service model. What do people hate most about the automotive industry? It's getting their car serviced. Yeah. Like, we, and, and what's frustrating for him is he was like, wait a second, like, we know how to make an efficient hybrid for over 60 years, diesel locomotives. It's a diesel generator powering AC motors. They've known this. So why would they put crappy DC motors in these cars with batteries that are going to wear out in a few years. It's like, it made no sense. Right. So he took that and, and he started even that before when you look at uh, um, his taking on of traditional banking with, um, yeah. was it uh, PayPal? PayPal, yeah. yeah. And PayPal revolutionized the idea that you could, I mean, I don't know if you remember early e-commerce days. I remember doing an online purchase and I had to like fax in my uh, photocopy of my driver's license <laughs> and all this other stuff. Are you not so still doing that? I, yeah, I, I do that. I get yeah. like three emails a day that ask for that. We and don't always, have your fax. It yeah. always yeah. feels like it's not a scam, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I remember the very first things and when eBay was using PayPal, yeah. this is amazing being Absolutely. able to buy it so yeah. smoothly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would lean on Elon Musk as a modern day storyteller. That's a that's a very creative answer. And yeah, I, I think yeah. that's great. Peter, so much gold in what you've just yeah. put out. And I think my heart, I think where we're kindred spirits is my heart breaks for like the story you told about JK Rowling that, yeah. that mm. like there are people that, and, and she's obviously on a big scale, but sure. so many others that have been hurt uh, by the story and the representation of Jesus that they have seen, um, that they have lived. And, and we have to do a better job of mm -hmm. 
getting back to the storyteller, getting back to Jesus and realizing each of us plays a part in that. And I, I love that. And so, so much, uh, so rich on that. And so, uh, yeah. And even the COVID stuff you shared. Yeah. I remember even like I was watching my mom as well. She loves watching uh, the worship leader from Mariners and that chapel. And I'm like, I know that chapel, Peter and plain Joe and those guys storyline. They, they did that chapel and it's just <laughs> so powerful to, you know, hear story and to worship in these spaces online in our, in our homes. Yeah. And so it's a real, a real issue. And I don't want to go back to the way that things were pre COVID um, because it was a broken down shadow at best representation hmm. of who Jesus was. And so how can we, in our future, tell a better story? What, what would you say to that in our future? As we, as we hopefully keep moving forward, what can, what can we do as disciples to tell a better story of who Jesus is? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things. First off, thanks for the plug on uh, working on the Mariners Chapel. I always feel guilty. It's like, even when you mentioned Marvel earlier, I'm a part of a much bigger team who, yeah, yeah. and even outside of our company, other partners, other, uh, other firms that we partner up with, it's much bigger than me. And I, I like in the Mariners Chapel, I got to speak in a couple of the graphics like inside and I, I got to see the designs as they were coming together, but it was a lot of other great people working on that. But it, it's humbling for me to be able to write on other people's coattails. And uh, when we look at opportunities to tell stories and when, if I can encourage people, I think the, the ability, you know, the, the great thing about books is it unlocks your, your, your mind to fill in gaps. Ultimately, when we talk about story, it's literally characters, plots and settings, right? And these things that interact and then leave a memory, a lasting impression with something, their perception of it. That's really what we're striving after. The, the trick is we've brought up a generation of people in this academic rigor of like, oh, yeah, this is how you do it. And this is the follow these steps and it's going to work for you. And the reality is, I mean. If you look how Jesus healed, did, did Jesus do the same thing every time with every person? Did he get the 12 disciples and put them into a room for three years and give them a certificate at the end? And each one of them had their same thing. It's like, that's one of my favorite things about seeing the chosen and seeing his yeah. interaction personally Great with the individual. And that's the thing is Jesus is very personal with us, with our personal stories. And I think one of the biggest struggles that we have with uh, when we work with people is they always want to get into that assembly line approach, which is great. Efficiency is great. But sure. you always have to step off the crazy train mm -hmm. and say, what is that moment where Mary breaks the alabaster vase and washes Jesus's feet? How do you see this, the force from the trees? How do you take, I mean, uh, honestly, one of our biggest things is do you Sabbath? <laughs> like, do you yeah. take a break? Um, the church is the only organization that I know of, and please correct me if you're wrong, that does a new content service every week. Mm -hmm. And it is a hamster wheel that burns them out. I do not know of any other organization that does that. When you look at mass media television, they do these things called seasons and they have different teams that rotate in and out. They give the people these things called vacations and breaks. What, what, um, what, what is this new world you're telling I me think, about? I think the only people that create new <laughs> weekly content are the church and the WWE. I think that's <laughs> it. I think that's it. Yeah. No, even the WWE, they, they have teams that rotate and that's give true. people that's time true. off. That's but the, the church, and I've heard of churches doing that before of having like an, uh, a, you know, I hate to call it A team, B team, like B team's not as good, but right. they, they leverage things off and those they're healthy churches yeah. that actually share the stage. Um, you know, when I hear certain preachers, I, I won't get into the nuance of names, but I remember there's one mega church pastor who is only preaching 20 times a year. And yeah. I'm like, that is amazing. That yeah. is awesome. He actually, in certain levels, has a healthy personal life. Now, 
the staff and everyone else saw it differently. A lot of people, there were some people like, he's not doing his job. He should be up right. there 50. My, my pastor is up there 50 weekends a year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, at what cost, at what cost to his family, at what cost to his kids. So I, I think the, um, I have a hard time with a lot. And, and yeah, that's a whole slippery slope we can go down. Sure. But what, what breaks my heart is these people who are just on this hamster wheel hmm. recreating new content when they have such great content. And if we look at that content and how do you leverage that content um, is really kind of one of the key things. So it's awesome. Yeah, I saw it was more of an informal poll, but somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of pastors think they probably have 15 to 25 really great messages in them in a year Mm -hmm. i thought that that's honest and it's probably fair yeah and uh and and to get off of that hamster wheel where it has to be uh, and i think COVID taught me that right especially Mm -hmm. as we're looking at online church and what that Mm -hmm. means and still figuring out questions around that um like part of my thing is like content creation is important for the church but content curation is also important and there's yeah. a lot of people who are experts in a lot of things that I'm not yeah. that probably would tell it to our people even better uh mm. it's just a matter of can we get rid of our uh, our systems maybe our egos a little bit for some of us and allow that which is really going to disciple our people the best when they're hearing from the best of the best mm. in each place to tell better stories. I'd say I have three solid messages a year <laughs> and they're the same ones. And so I just hope for new people to come There you in. go. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's better than me. I I have uh, three messages that a third of them are good. So, oh, <laughs> hey, you got one. I love it, dude. You're you're, uh, you're so you're so on on with this, and so. Yeah, but but the the, the my big uh, thing is though that these guys just seeing the forest from the trees. It's like being yeah. able to bring an outside perspective in. And a lot of that is stepping off the hamster wheel, taking those yeah, rests. Yeah. But see, I mean, wisdom seeks a multitude of counselors. And like, how do you do that? And and you're talking about ego. It's like, yeah, I, I talk to these guys and they're like, but I get the energy from the room. I get, I feed, you know, it like, you know, and I'm like, man, I'm not sure that's the Holy Spirit, bro. I'm like, yeah, that yeah. is, yeah. Uh, but, but it's like, you know, what, what's best for the people and how do we shepherd that? How do you act? And uh, trust me, I believe in systems. I mean, we have over a hundred people in our company now and it's not, we didn't get here without systems, Yeah. but it's yeah. a balancing act. We, good design is what we say is good composition and go- composition is the balance of chaos and structure. So okay. structure is that IT side of me, right? Uh, but it's balanced with this creative side and this, and the balance of the two is the tension we want to manage and we need to manage. And the biggest thing I've seen for a lot of guys in the church world is they, they can't see the forest from the trees. How do you step back? How do you step outside and take that? That's the issue with most organizations, um, that don't bring in outside people. And that's probably a huge plug, but when we look at companies like Apple or name it, Mars, M&Ms, Disney, you know, they use outside organizations for an outside voice for a reason. Yeah. It's so helpful. Yeah. I love that. Peter, you are a founder and president of two studios, Plain Joe and Storyland. I, I, I kind of met you of course on more of the plain jet. Can you tell me the difference between those two um, and, and what, what, what it is that you do and, and potentially how, especially in the church world um, I'm asking you like, cause you've been a help to me and you've been a help on uh, the church side to many that I know. I just, I was just in one of the buildings that you guys had designed for a friend of mine. It's like, Wow, powerful. Mm. So tell me, and, and I want, I want our audience to know like what, what is plain Joe? What is Storyland, and how, how have you helped further the church? Yeah. So basically it's, it's one company, uh, mm. with two front doors mm. and, uh, it's the same team. And the two front doors is basically, uh, this is where I could get in trouble, but basically it, it, it's, it's a front door for the faith community. So the church world, 
uh, you know, over a thousand churches the last 20 years, they really know us as plain Joe. Uh, and the name comes from the idea. It's not about us. It's not about our egos. It's, it's about the everyday average Joe, plain Jane that you want to connect with. And, uh, and that's our heart is to serve uh, nonprofits and stuff in there. Um, that workload makes up over half of our workload. Um, that, uh, traditionally, I should say, with COVID, everything has really changed, actually. The other front door is called Storyland Studios. And that's the front door that we have um, for all of our secular clients. So our work with Disney, Universal, okay. Lego, um, you know, Marvel, um, Mars Entertainment, like all the guys, like they all go through that front door. Um, and the reason why we have two separate front doors is because we're systemically, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm Asian, I'm Asian. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm half Vietnamese. Um, yeah, there, there's a Vietnamese door and there's a all other, no, just kidding. No, no, no. It's, but we have, we did find that uh, it's Colossians 4, 5, 6, uh, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, letting your speech okay. always be seen with salt. Yeah, yeah. And knowing what the, 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 what struck us is that one of those audiences is allergic to the other. And we mm -hmm. didn't want to turn them away or turn them off uh, because of that. So our heart is just to get in and serve uh, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and love them. And if they find out about the other door, that's great. Um, okay. Our default front door is, is actually the bigger front door is Storyland. That's sure. the, the bigger awesome. brand, if you will. That's our default email. The story. It confuses that guy of people, though, because they'll go through Plain Joe and then Storyland will reply. And they're like, did we get the right people? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't need a roller coaster. <laughs> I was like, oh. Yeah, man. I love that. And, and yeah, you, you got your team. And I get it. It's not all about you. But yeah, your team is awesome. And the 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 the, the bringing the outside counsel to bring your church's mission and vision to reality, to tell that story from the moment somebody like even enters the parking lot to what it's like in those first seven minutes, which are statistically the most important seven, even before the sermon starts, before the worship like you guys are, are incredible at that and so peter i want to fast forward a little bit uh because when i was first in your studio four or five years ago now at this point you guys were already working on virtual reality stuff hmm. and it was the first time i ever put a virtual reality headset on and my mind was a little bit blown back then things yeah. have advanced a little bit more and i'm guessing they're going to be advancing more and more and more and more by what i'm hearing so I'd love to hear from you. Like, I feel like the church was really way behind in digital discipleship and ministry and church overall. Um, in in COVID, brought us a lot of us into it, which is good. Um, but I'd love to hear from you, like with VR and Web three and Metaverse, all this stuff going wow, on. Look at you. Uh, yeah, right. Um, how can we get prepared or be ready? What what is this? What is this going to mean for us as disciples and churches? Yeah. Well, it is an interesting time because a lot of times people look at our studio and go, man, you guys do a lot of different things. And they see it as a as everything is like we have these three basically different businesses. And even though that's kind of our philosophy, we, we try and simplify it for people. The reality is it's it's one studio. We do one work. And uh, and and I should also clarify, I mentioned our kingdom work kind of it, like traditionally is more like yeah. it's more clients, but the of the fewer clients generates way more income on the secular side of things. Right. And the secular side of things is really where we cut our teeth and get to, you know, be on the forefront of technology in yeah. a lot of different areas. And it's those learnings that we take from that larger side of the, the business cool. um, that we then draft and we try to figure out how we can help all the, I mean, literally we'll have $1 million project over here and then 20, you know, $50,000 projects over on the right for the churches. Right. It's just, a, it's a, 
there, it doesn't make sense business wise. We've had business analysts come in for the last 20 years. They're like, why do you guys keep doing all this nonprofit stuff? Cause we're like, I know, but there's, there's a, there, but I love that though. It's your heart though. And I think I, I don't want to over, over, overstep that. Um, and, and just miss that, that like, that is a, an intentional decision for you of, uh, we want to be involved in, in God's expression mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, I, I see it as beautiful stewardship that there's, you know, these things over here that can help over, help the church and 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 that's amazing that you do that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah talk talk more. Yeah. So that, that's our heart behind it. But even when we look at how we started the studio, even like you know, we were doing 3D and digital design because my IT background, I was always about how do we leverage technology to advance and yeah. leapfrog our competitors. That's one of the, my the one of my favorite stories is how how did Walt Disney take on Universal after they had hoodwinked them and stolen Oswald the Lucky Rabbit? You know, the thing about that made Mickey Mouse special was uh, you know Steamboat Willie was the very first cartoon with synchronized audio and yeah. uh, he used leverage technology and you look at the technology in snow white and the seven dwarfs and as they continued on the multi-plane camera and all these things he leveraged technology helped advance things just like i believe the church would leverage technology with the gutenberg press and yeah. getting the, the gospel yeah. out i believe historically the church should leverage technology to get the gospel out um and i think we're we're tripping over ourselves right now because we're trying to leverage technology to work uh on something that's advancing and then something that's not like set in stone. Um, if I had to compare, uh, like where we're at with VR right now, it's uh, headsets are like the A tracks of you know. It's kind of cool. You can take your music with you now. Um, if you pass a song, you can go all the way around. Whatever. Uh, for those who are listening who don't know what an A track is, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's my age, but I'm actually much older than I look. Um, <laughs> at least I hear that. My, that's why I try and tell myself. But um, yeah, I, I totally dated myself there. Went there. That's yeah. but, anyways, but the reality is um, early in our studio, we were using 3D. We were using, and what we're finding is a convergence. And this convergence is not something that's unique to us at this time. You look at all the great architects. I mean, not all of them, but some of my favorites. <laughs> Frank Lloyd Wright was not just an architect around the building. He actually was a landscaper. He was a furniture maker. He crafted the whole experience. Leonardo da Vinci, I mean, you know, Michelangelo, they were fantastic architects, designers, inventors. They brought this culmination of all these things together. Um, just like a, a conductor of an orchestra, he can bring the whole orchestra together to have, you know, have an amazing symphony. Um, and what our biggest hang up is we see are, is people want to specialize and just do this one thing. So yeah. there are traditional architectural firms that all they focus on is the architecture in the building. And then they'll have a separate landscape architect and landscape architecture, mm-hmm. or they'll have a separate, but getting all everyone to kind of coalesce and combine it, it, it kind of trips over themselves. And especially when you get into newer technologies and augmented reality, virtual reality, right now we're in a spot where, um, it's coming, whether we like it or not. Yeah. And you know, our, our ability to tolerate change and progress is what's going to allow us to adapt. And um, I have a, a, a good friend, Bobby Grunwald is uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, he's been doing amazing at Life Church, And right. I, I, I think he has a new title. Now. I think he's like CEO of uversionbible.com. But before that, he, uh, and he still is, he carries the innovation uh, title and, uh, right. and really is the champion of that. And understanding I mean, I, I love the story of Uversion. I originally had an initial idea and I love, I actually really love his original concept, this idea that, uh, you know, you can have your own personal version and he was, the way yeah. he went about it and everything, it was really kind of cool. It just didn't take off. It was ahead of its time, uh, really. Um, and at the 11th hour, kind of, they had this license for uh, a Bible translation. Uh, I forget which one it was. It's like, uh, but anyways, and he just, it was like the, uh, the iPhone came out and you could publish that uh, app store. So he's just like, hey, let's publish the first Bible. And that's, that was it. <laughs> and ah. 
it was just willing to try something and let something fail. Let maybe that yeah. would fail. Instead, it just took off. And here we are half a billion downloads later. Yeah, right? that's amazing. The work that they're doing and gearing up for is just amazing. But I, so many churches I know, they're just, they think stewardship is saving everything they have, making every dollar go as far as they can. But man, when I look at the parable of the talents, the guy that saved all his money, it was better that he had never been born. And right. um, really, we're called to take risks to have that return on investment. And uh, for us, it's, it's taking a risk in your story, yeah. taking a look at what that story is and being intentional about it as you move forward. Don't bury your money. That's what we've learned today. <laughs> yeah. That is I love it. Yeah. That idea of risk and giving it back to God and, and let's try things. And I think that that's coming into the, uh, the future with open hands. And even if I don't fully understand it, uh, probably getting involved in the conversations before I feel like I need to and going for a thing or two and seeing what God does, I think is just so cool. Uh, Peter, you're awesome. Uh, we, I want to, we always close with this question with our guests and then Chris has got, uh, it's plain Joe studios. Right. Um, but we want to know your, we're going to test your trivia on famous Joe's. That's Just, right. We want to see if you're the real Joe yeah. expert. Yeah. Um, but anyway, before we get to that, we ask this question uh, of all our guests uh, at the end of the day, it's a podcast to challenge people to be greater disciples. And so from your seat, your vantage point, I want to ask you like, if there's one challenge you could issue to our audience practically that they could do this week mm -hmm. um, to grow and, and be greater disciples, what would you, what would you say? Oh man, you know, for me, it always starts at your home and, uh, and it, it's a hard one to do, but yeah, just, uh, you know, asking your kids, like, I mean, uh, honestly, uh, it, what is their favorite memory, you know, from there, if they're not old enough to ask that, but what are the stories that are being told in your house? That's, that's yeah. one of the first things I start with. Yeah. I love that. So, okay. So that's the challenge. So ask, uh, if, if you've got kids or someone that's close, mm -hmm. what yeah, is your spouse, it could be your good best friend. Yeah. Yeah. What's some of your favorite stories, favorite story, favorite memory. All right. If you do that mm -hmm. this week, I want to hashtag red letter disciple for the podcast, put it on any socials or in YouTube, mm -hmm. drop in the comments. I think that's really great. And then recognizing what about that memory? Why, I think going deeper than like, right. Why is that the favorite memory mm -hmm. and, and figuring out that, yeah. that piece of the story? I yeah. think that's super cool. So that's awesome. All right, Chris. All right. I'm always nervous. Uh, Peter turning it over to Chris. All right, Peter. Oh you're, yeah. You're a uh, plain Joe. That's you. <laughs> now I'm going to name some famous Joes. Um, Zach, can you put 45 seconds on the yeah, clock for on, me? Put 45 seconds on the clock uh, for every correct answer you get. I will give a description or uh, Peter, we just met each other. I am also an amazing actor. I might <laughs> act the part out. I might describe the person, but it's up to you to get it as many and, Joes as possible. Yeah. We're hoping for the win is um five joes okay there you five, go. Joes. five joes all right peter we are going to name some famous joes you are a plain joe which just speaks of your humility yeah right but these are some famous joes you have 45 seconds on the clock if you can name five you will receive 500 points oh wow that's a lot of points that's all right 100 points for each joe on your marks get set Go. I have the number one podcast in the world. Joe Rogan. That's it. Um, okay, let's see here. I was an American musician, singer, songwriter, lead vocalist of the punk, punk rock band, The Ramones. Oh, I don't know that one. Yes, Joey Ramone. 
Oh. All right, here we go. I was Jolton Joe, the Yankee Clipper, famous Yankee, but baseball player, okay. married to Marilyn Monroe. Huh? Not oh. Joe Jackson. No, no, no. Not, married not. to Marilyn Monroe. Oh, yeah, I don't remember. All right, Skip. Oh, DiMaggio, DiMaggio. Oh, yeah, DiMaggio, he got, he got, there we go. Yeah. All right, uh, quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. He went to Notre Dame. That's it. Five uh, seconds. Part of the uh, hit TV show in Practical Jokers. I don't know if he's a part of it anymore. Joe Pesci, Joe Lawrence. Joe Pesci? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Joe Joe Gatto. Joe Gatto. Uh, I just started naming Joe actors. <laughs> That's the way to go. Thank you so much. You received 300 points, which who knows by the end of season one where that's going to put you. I'll but get you a red letter challenge. Yeah, right help, you grab go. yourself a book. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Peter, you rock, man. Yeah. Thanks so much for, uh, if people want to know more about you uh, or the studio, where can they, where can they visit? Uh, yeah, uh, there's a, a church group, right? Uh, church pastors. Let's, let's go to plainjoestudios.com. There you go. I love it, man. All right, man. Thank you so much for being with us and uh, being the unique storyteller that you are. Uh, You inspired a lot of people today and uh, it's going to be awesome. Awesome. I love you, man. Thank you so much. Great connecting. All right. Wow. Okay. Seriously, Peter, like, right. He might be the smartest guy I've ever met. Like the dude's brilliant. And I love his take on storytelling legitimately i am so grateful for this man not only for being a guest on the red letter disciple but out of the blue he took a chance on a guy writing about red (laughs) red letters and so to access the show notes and to connect more with peter and plain joe studios go on over to redletterpodcast.com i'm telling you they are the premier storytellers when it comes to things as small as books and as big as buildings and so if, if that's a need for you like look them up reach out and i actually think like They're a perfect combo with our sponsor for the first season, The Giving Church. Like, you've got Kingdom Dreams? Cool. A group like Plain Joe Studios can help bring bring life to your vision and and picture and image and story to your vision. And The Giving Church then come alongside and help you raise the capital you need. I think it's the all-star combo, all for the glory of Jesus and the church becoming the great storytellers that we are called to be. So remember to not only visit Peter and what they're doing at Plain Joe Studios, but also you can check out our season one sponsor at thegivingchurch.com slash red. They're going to give a free gift to you that's going to help your church grow in its giving. Next week, I'm excited to keep this thing rolling. We got episode six with pastor, author, and college friend, Adam Griffin. Hopefully he doesn't get into too much college stories about him and I, we'll see. But hey, Adam has served in youth ministry. He served as a public school teacher alongside of pastor Matt Chandler with one of their pastors and now planted his own church from the Village Church. He has now co-authored a book with Matt Chandler called Family Discipleship. And so he's really going to dive deep into helping parents raise great disciples of Jesus. Also, he lives in Texas. And have you noticed everybody in Texas thinks Texas is amazing and everything in Texas is amazing. And so we're finally going to get the verdict on the Whataburger. Is it really all that it's cracked up to be? Adam is not from Texas. He moved there. So now we're going to see if that's a big thing for him or not. So, hey, if you haven't hit yet that follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, do it now. And then magically, somehow, some way, it'll show up on your feed next Tuesday. A Huda Media Production.